Let's continue worship with a reading from John 16, 7 through 13. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more, no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Good job on the announcement, so that's what the applause are for. Um, one thing um, we forgot to mention is today is a very special day. Uh, it happens to be uh, National Ice Cream Day. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted you to know. I just wanted you to know. Uh, July 5th was Graham Cracker Day. I love Graham Crackers, and I missed it. And so I didn't want you to miss National Ice Cream Day. Okay? There we go. This is why they don't let me preach very often. Okay. Uh, we are in a series on the Holy Spirit. And it has been very powerful, and it just continues. It just continues to go week after week because we feel like God is just wanting to reveal more of himself to us. And in addition to that, I sense that there is in our congregation a hunger for the Holy Spirit, a hunger for the presence of God, uh, a desire for him, a knowledge and a, a, a knowing in our heart that there is more. That there's more. Don't you have that longing, you know, that God, I know that God has more than what we're experiencing. And so because of that thirst, this series, which was going to be about five weeks, um, today I think it's part 99. I don't know what we're going on with this. And, and it may go on next week. I'm not really sure. But uh, I'm thrilled to be able to, to bring the message today. So before we begin, let's just take a moment and pray together and open our hearts to the Lord. So pray with me, if you will. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. You're our teacher. And we desire that you would come today and speak into our hearts of life. We ask this morning as we open our Bibles and we dive into the word that you would awaken our hearts to the things that you're saying, that you would breathe within us. We ask, Lord, that you would expand our minds and give us new revelation. And we ask, Lord, that you would shape our identity, that you would form us uh, to the, be the people that you created us to be, that we would reflect more and more the image of Jesus, that we would shed off more and more the ways of the world, the ways of the flesh, and the things that weigh us down, and that we would, through humility and submission to you, take on more and more of your life within us. Come, we make space for you today. We create room in our hearts for you today and ask you to come and speak and fill us with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. A few moments ago, uh, Chris read from John 16, uh, a, a bunch of passages uh, that Jesus is talking to his disciples. And this is near the end of his ministry. He knows that time is very limited. He also feels every time he begins to talk about this, the apprehension begin to, to rise up in the disciples. And so he gives them some words of comfort. And what he lets them know is that, that the Holy Spirit is going to be coming that he is going to be disappearing. He's going to be gone from their presence, but that the 
Because he is going, it's to their advantage because he would send the Holy Spirit. And when he talks about the Holy Spirit in this verse, he gives the Holy Spirit a very unique name that gives us insight to some of the things that the Holy Spirit desires to do in us. He gives the Holy Spirit this name of helper. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the helper will not come to you. He calls the Holy Spirit a helper. Now, some of your versions may say comforter, counselor, advocate, something like that. The Greek word is parakletos, which means one who is called along beside us. It's, just, it's a combination of two words, to call one to be with us. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide us. But this is a very powerful word. We kind of lose the, the full context of it. In the New Testament days, this word was used to talk about someone with special expertise who would come along beside another person and help them do what they could not do alone. And so he would be a counselor to help work through a dilemma where we just at wit's end, we don't know which way to turn. The Holy Spirit comes to counsel our heart. An advocate, and, and really the word here is, is like an attorney. When you're uh, on the ropes, you're being accused, you're being attacked, you're at the mercy of the attacker, and then a counselor, an attorney, comes along beside you and defends you and speaks up and says, these are false charges against this person. This is the truth about this person. Or a guide to guide us through territory we have never been through. And in life, does that ever happen? Do we ever, like, hey, I've never been through this? Uh, you know, I've, I've lived a few years and think, well, I've done a lot of things, but you know what? Not everything, because there are new adventures that come along, new challenges that come along, and we go, I've never done this before. I've never been through this before. How do I make it? And the Holy Spirit is the guide who knows. He's been there. He knows how to guide us through there. And then a comforter who consoles us when we're troubled or when we're grieved or our soul has been crushed. He comes alongside us to be with us and to be within us. And some of you that have been with friends before that have lost loved ones, you, and maybe you've experienced this yourself, you know that it's not always the words that other people speak that give you comfort. But what is it? It's their presence, that they're with you. And so the Holy Spirit comes to be with us. Jesus says specifically, though, in these verses that one of the things the Holy Spirit does is bring conviction. Conviction. Now, we, we think about conviction primarily in legal terms in, in our vernacular. We think about conviction. We think about convict. And maybe an image of a convict comes up. He says the Holy Spirit comes to convict us. And he does three things. He convicts us concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he says he's going to guide us into God's truth. Now, it's easy to understand this, this portion, that we know the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We've experienced that. He says the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin because we've strayed from God, all of sin, and fall short of God's glory, the Scripture says. And we know that. And if you've ever experienced or when you have experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then we step outside of God's plan for our life, his, his delight over us. When we step out of that plan, the Holy Spirit begins to prick our heart, begins to let us know this is, this is not right. Now, something about conviction, though, of sin is it's not general. It's not vague. It's not you're a loser, you're a bum, you never get anything right. When were you ever going to get it? It's not general. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is specific. The, the general stuff is shame and blame coming from the enemy just trying to, to put us down. But the, the word of, of the Holy Spirit comes, and he's very specific. You just spoke very rudely. And you, and you go, ah, yeah. 
And because it's specific, we can respond in confession to that. He says that he convicts us of righteousness and he convicts us of judgment. We kind of understand that, but what does it mean to be convicted of righteousness? The Greek word convict can mean to put to proof, to test, to expose, to reveal. It's exposing truth about something. So we have a tendency to kind of have a sin consciousness. And when we think about conviction, we immediately begin to think he's talking about sin. But the Holy Spirit also convicts us of righteousness, of what righteousness is, where it is found, and what it does in our our lives. The Bible tells us that when Jesus completed his mission on earth, which was, by the way, to seek and to save the lost. He died on the cross for our sins, taking our sin upon himself. He was raised from the dead the third day by the power of the Father. And then he ascended into heaven. And the scripture tells us he was seated at the right hand of the Father. And and that's kind of a way of saying to us, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. What was his mission? 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul gives us an insight. He goes, he, this is Jesus, or God, made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What do we become? You can say it out loud. It helps this. We can dialogue here. We can talk. It's good. What do we become? The righteousness of God. You know, that's a little bit uncomfortable to say sometimes. To view ourselves, how do you really view yourself? How do you really look at yourself? Do you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, well, uh, I, here you are, you child of God. Good morning to you. You are righteous. Do we continue by saying, today, in Christ, you're a new creation You're loved, you're accepted, you're even desired. You're not only loved, but you're lovable. You are a righteous son or a righteous daughter of God. You are seated with Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, with all the resources of heaven at your disposal. So let's go be fruitful. How many of us wake up and have some kind of experience like that? Not too often. More likely, we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror and go, hey, you bum, please don't screw up again today. It's something more like that. And at the end of the day, if we look back over our day, it's more easy to talk about the sins that we committed, the ways we messed up, than it is the times that we heard God speak or saw God work through us. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict us of righteousness. We have a sin consciousness. And part of that is because we are sinners and the Holy Spirit and God is dealing with that. But when we sometimes admit, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, we seem to put the emphasis on sinner and not grace, not what we're becoming in Christ. The Bible describes us Christians as saints. Saints are more than just people who have their picture in a stained glass window with a pie pan behind their head. You know, what you think of when you think of a saint. You're a saint. God calls you a saint. In some of the the books that Paul writes where he's addressing the churches that are really messing up sometimes, he says, hey, saints, holy ones. He calls them that. We're called chosen ones. We're called victorious warriors. We're called shining lights. We're called ambassadors of God. We're called people who are abundantly blessed with the riches of God. And that's not just a wishful thought. You know, I hope that we do. 
but it's a proclamation of truth by God. And then we end up so often not accepting that, not walking in that, and we actually end up living like spiritual paupers, broken, powerless, and poor. One of the things that we experience in the modern day America right now is uh, something that my parents, my grandparents never had to worry about. It's called identity theft. Oh, some of you have been victim of identity theft. Oh, man, it's pretty, pretty bad. It's having your identity stolen and many times destroyed, absolutely wiped out. Identity theft begins when someone takes your personal information, such as your name, social security, number, your date of birth, your mother's maiden name, you know, all the things the bank asks for, uh, your address, and they steal it and they use it without your permission uh, for their own personal gain. They rob you. They take your identity from you. They destroy your credit. They rob you of your wealth. And your identity, your identity is left in shambles. It is tarnished. Your name is tarnished and your worth sometimes is plundered. Every few days we read something uh, on the news or hear something about Identity being stolen of people and their wealth being just taken away from them. Identity thieves even pose as you. They apply for credit. People have woken up to the fact, hey, somebody just bought a house in my name and it's not me. And they also sometimes even file your taxes uh, and get your refund. I have yet to hear of any situations where they file your taxes and pay your taxes. It doesn't happen that way, but to steal from us. Identity theft in between 2019 and 2020 doubled. It doubled. It increased over 311%. Uh, 40 million U.S. consumers fell victim to identity theft in 2021. And the identity thief sold over $52 billion from Americans last year year. And this was interesting. Uh, when I was kind of looking this up, I thought, well, who are the victims? Who are the most likely victims of identity theft? And I thought, well, surely it's old people. Uh, but it was actually, um, according to the Federal Trade Commission, people between the ages of 30 to 39. And it may be because they're more prone to do things on, on uh, digitally. Basically, we all do. All that COVID money that went out, criminals got away with $750 million of it. And I discovered this. This is not good news. Uh, Georgia ranks fifth in the nation in identity theft. They go, oh, man, man, I'm glad I came to church to hear all that. Um, but let me tell you something that's a little bit worse than that. As bad as all that is, and it is bad. It really messes people up. But something is worse than that is we all have an enemy who wants to hack our identity and steal it from us. We have an enemy who works 24-7, 365. He comes just to rob us of our identity in Christ, to rob us of who we are, to rob us of all the wealth that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into our life, to take from us all that God of creation has made available to us through Christ and leave us feeling broken and empty and without anything. He works very hard in doing that. And his name is, of course, the, the enemy, Satan. And he, he works day in and day out, speaking doom and gloom and depression over us. And Jesus warned us about this. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal from us what God has given us. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to steal our identity as a child of God and leave us feeling less than, empty, a failure, a disappointment even to God. 
And the fact is that Jesus warned us about this. He, Satan is still trying to do it. He did not retire. <laughs> if anything, he's stepping it up in, in our day. God wants us to be aware of this. In 1 Peter 5.8, the scripture says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So God wants us to be on guard. He wants us to be prepared and warned. He wants us to be locked and loaded, okay? With what? What are we to be locked and loaded with? Truth. The truth about God, the truth about ourselves and the truth about the way the Christian life works. The Holy Spirit comes to guide us in that truth. He comes to convict us when there's sin in our life. He comes to convict us of the righteousness that has been imputed to us by Christ that has been given to us. And he wants to uh, establish within our hearts our new identity so that we'll walk into it. So let's just, for the next few moments, let's just talk about how that happens. Let's just kind of chat about it. If you're a note taker, uh, now's the time. You might want to jot some things down and, uh, and remember those and look them up later. Now, we all fight against uh, and struggle against temptation. Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose, but God does not define us by our, our sins. No, the Bible says, no, that is not who you are. It may be who you were, but not anymore. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ, for by grace you have been saved." and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see the contrast in this verse. This happens over and over again in the New Testament. You once were dead to sins. You once walked according to the course of the world. You once were in agreement. This is kind of crazy with the prince of the power of the air. That's bad to think about being in agreement with him. Uh, you, you lived out your desires. And he says, by, we're by nature children of wrath. But then there's a pivot that takes place. But God, since Jesus has come and offered salvation, who, he is rich in mercy. He says he has made us alive in Christ. He has raised us up to, to be seated with him. We have union with Christ now. He has seated us with him in the heavenly places now. And it says, it ends by saying so that in the days to come, he can just keep on showing us his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness. And you will see this type of explanation throughout the New Testament writings. This is who you were, but this is who you are now. Colossians 1.21, he talks about that. He says, you once were alienated. You were even hostile in your mind, engaged in evil, yet... He has now reconciled you in his body to present you holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. That's how he's presenting us. The Bible spends a lot of ink talking about our new identity in Christ. 
a lot of space. But many times we just pass over thinking that's nice religious language rather than understanding that radical change has taken place in our heart because God lives within us now through Christ. The God of the universe who spoke the universe into existence has come to occupy space inside of us and has transformed us. So Jesus will use radical terms like being born again, which really kind of baffles Nicodemus. He's trying to, he's trying to picture this because I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. It's that radical. He, the Bible talks about us being once sinners, but now we're saints. Hello, saints. Hello, that's who we are. We're saints. We were once walked in darkness. Now we walk in light. In fact, we are light. We were hostile toward God. Now we're friends of God. We were children of wrath. Now we're children of God. We were once wicked, now holy. We are now, according to Scripture, righteous, accepted, loved, seated with Christ, alive in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and heirs of God. And the Holy Spirit has been given and sent by Jesus to help us process this and understand that this is who we are. This is the spiritual reality that is an eternal reality. Forever and ever, the Holy Spirit comes. Galatians even says that because the Holy Spirit comes and says, because you are the sons of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And we, we, the spirit lives within us and creates a yearning and a hunger letting us know we are the children of God now. So how do we engage in the Holy Spirit? If, if, if Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to do this, then how do we personally engage in this? Well, let me just mention several things. First of all, just begin by asking the Holy Spirit. Ask him. Ask him to reveal this to you. Ask him to open your eyes to be able to see who you are in Christ. Ask him to let you see through God's eyes your life. The book of Ephesians, it begins with a very powerful prayer. It'd be a good one to pray every day, uh, chapter 1, 18 through 21. And this is the prayer that Paul's praying for other believers. I pray that the eyes of your heart, interesting, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope with which he has called you, the riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He goes on and says this power is the same mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and every name that is evoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come forever and forever. He's praying that we would have revelation. He's praying that our eyes of our heart, our inner being, would have a, an experience of revelation of seeing what God has for us and seeing the glorious inheritance that he has and seeing ourselves as God's people and that we would know this by experience, that we would know and experience the, he calls, incomparably great power that it's within us who believe. Well, let's this is chat about God's power for a minute. How do we understand and perceive God's power? Well, one is through the natural realm. Um, David, uh, King David wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God. We read that earlier today. Creation all around us, it's a 24-7 illustration of God's creative power. 
and it just never ends. Everywhere we look, we see, we see God's power. I mean, just take the sun for, exist, for example. I don't have a bunch of statistics about the sun, but it's very, very hot. And if we, you go there and you just stand on the sun and say, let's just check this out, you know. Uh, where is all that energy and power coming from? It just keeps on and just keeps on and just keeps on. God spoke it into existence. God said, let there be, and there was. Just by his word, he created. So when the enemies come against us, our, our ailments come against us, the different things that just try to destroy our life come against us, we can hold them up to God's power and say, you've got nothing compared to him. He is all-powerful. The power of a thunderstorm, which we've had quite a few of just recently. And look at that. Where did that power come from? It's God. The expanse of the oceans. You stand there, look at the oceans, and say, just how many gallons are there out there? Just, just how many fish are there? Just how much sand is actually there? God created it and placed it all there. This past week, there came some um, pretty amazing pictures from the new James Hub telescope, uh, which is very cool looking. Uh, that's, that's a cool looking spaceship, isn't it? They're kind of, you know, they're, they're making them look like Ferraris now. They're sporting them up a little bit. And I thought the Hubble was pretty cool. And it was. It's very awesome. It's been decommissioned now. But I want you to compare these pictures. We'll put this next one up here. On the left is Hubble. On the right, it's the same picture from Webb. You see, it's even brighter. I was amazed when, when Hubble came out because what, what they did with the Hubble uh, Space Telescope is they zoomed out into places that we had seen star fields before. And we'd say, look at all those stars out there. And then we discovered, as you see, that they weren't stars. They were galaxies. But if you, you look on the left-hand side, the, what Hubble's been able to pick up, you see that there's even little dots behind that, and maybe those are stars. And so Hub, uh, Webb goes up there and says, I can zoom in on this. And we find out, no, those aren't stars either. Those two are galaxies. And it seems the further and further we reach out, we just keep finding more and more galaxies, and we begin to scratch our heads and say, where does it end? Where does it, does it ever end? Uh, check this next one out. Uh, look at the star. This is infrared on the right-hand side. Same picture uh, from the left, but in infrared. And look at all the stars that are there. Can anyone count them? And God challenge us. Can you count the stars? Absolutely not. I've got one more. This is uh, one that's been publicized a lot this week. This is from the Webb, uh, James Webb Telescope. And uh, it's a pretty amazing, pretty amazing picture. But what's amazing about this picture is that this, this is not a wide-angle shot. Not at all. This is a very narrow shot. In fact, let me tell you how narrow it is. If you were to take a grain of sand and put it on your fingertip and hold it out, that little, that little space right there, that little dot, that's the width of this picture. It's that narrow of a picture that is being made. Very, very, very narrow. Imagine what it would be like if you could just see all, you know, all around the creation. The, this image is the deepest image of the universe that has ever been taken so far, so far. And, and they even, they found one more. They spotted this, I, but uh, I really, I don't think it's anything we need to worry about. It's way, way, way out there. But in this verse, you know, Paul alludes to the power of God, and we see power in creation, but then he, he narrows in and he talks about the power that we see in what Jesus did for us because the worst enemy that we have, the one we can't conquer on our own, is death. And God says, oh, yeah, I beat that too. Look at Jesus. Look at him. His point 
And all of this, as you see in the scripture, is this is the same power that he makes available to us. This is the same power that he wants to work inside of our life against anything that the enemy brings. And listen again to the beginning of this verse from a couple of other versions. I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Another version says, let them see the full extent of your power that is at work in those of us who believe and may it be done, how? According to your might and your power. So ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see God in all of his glory, to see the power of God and to see what he has made us to become because Christ dwells within us. Honestly, most of these revelations will come to us, or many of them are going to come through Scripture because the Holy Spirit comes and opens Scripture. As we, we pour through Scriptures, we read through the Bible, begin to ask the Lord, Lord, show me in the Word what you say about me. Show me in the Word how, what you have made me to become, how you identify me, and ask the Holy Spirit to flag those, and you begin to build an arsenal that's very helpful when the enemy attacks and when the enemy attacks, that brings up the second thing we do is to renounce the false narratives, the false agreements with the enemy. Break with them. When the enemy comes and begins to throw things at us, just proclaim before God before, and before the enemy, I do not agree with this. This is not from God. The Bible says two can't walk together unless they are in agreement. And so what's actually happening when the enemy comes and he bombards us and he says, you know, uh, you're a loser, You'll never conquer your fears. You'll never beat that habit. God has probably given up on you. Don't even bother asking for forgiveness again. You're just a sinner. Accept it. Just go with it. Those are some of the things and many more that the enemy comes and he hurls against us. When we accept it and when we don't challenge it, we are agreeing with the enemy. Just sit with that a minute. We're agreeing with the enemy. And that's bad. That's bad. We don't want to agree with him. Uh, I heard a saying one time, as we think, we, so we feel. As we feel, so we act. As we act, so we become. It's a downward spiral. We don't want to go into the narrative of the enemy. You see the danger that is here. So when this is ha- beginning to happen, when the enemy begins to throw accusations against us and they pop into our mind, stop and renounce it. I renounce, I renounce that I'll never conquer my fears, for example. I do not accept or agree with this as truth. I renounce the belief that God has given up on me. I renounce it that I'll never beat this habit. In Jesus' name, I do not accept it. Instead, thirdly, come into agreement with God and what he is saying. And not even how we may feel. What did God say? What did God say? For example, if we're dealing with fear, you know, we renounce the spirit of fear and we will proclaim what God says. God has not given us a spirit of fear. That did not come from God, but of power and love and of sound mind. We come into agreement with God. We come into alignment with him, and we confess the same thing that he is saying. The Bible reminds us about the power of God's word. It says that the word of God is living and active, 
Uh, that word active really means uh, energy. It's talking about energy being released, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and even discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word that he spoke is powerful. Now, I referred to this a few moments ago, but the Bible tells us that God spoke the universe into existence. That's power. He just spoke. His word is alive, living, active, powerful, and full of energy. And so when we renounce the enemy's lies and we accept and proclaim what God is saying, we're lining up with God. We're lining up with him. We're coming into agreement with what he has said about himself and about us. And that's where the power is released in lining up in agreement. Finally, uh, keep your focus on God's truth every day. Keep your focus. The emphasis on this this point is focus. Where is your focus? Where is your focus in life? Dallas Willard said the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. David, King David wrote this, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Always before me, I have set the Lord. So let me tell you, in kind of wrapping up, why, why this is important. I mean, what's the point of, of this sermon? What's, what's the whole idea behind discovering our identity in Christ and keeping us forward, uh, keeping it before us? And it's this. What we focus on, we move toward. If we just focus on sin, then, okay. But if we focus upon God, if we focus upon his truth, if we focus upon what he has said about us, that's what the trajectory of our life begins to look like. And this is true in the natural, and it's in the, true in the spiritual. I learned this in the natural uh, kind of the hard way a few years ago. I bought a motorcycle, which is kind of dumb to do at my age, but I did it, and I went to took the, the motorcycle safety class, which I highly recommend. And when I went to the class, I was the oldest and least experienced guy in the class. I'd never ridden a motorcycle before. And I'm sitting there and looking at these dudes who obviously have. And I'm thinking, what are you doing here? This is, this is a little bit crazy. But it was a good class. I'm glad I took it. And one of the things that we, you do in the classes, they set up this really kind of neat little um, obstacle course with using cones like we put out in front out here. And they, they lay this course out. And as you... Um, get familiar with a bike, you begin to, to ride, you ride that course. But I was having a problem running through the obstacle course. I just kept running off the course, particularly down on one end. I would just keep just keep on going. And I thought, what's going on? I, I know I'm supposed to turn. I'm looking where I'm going, and I just keep going so often. And so the instructor, he pulled me aside, and he said, Scott, focus on where you want to go, not straight ahead. Focus on where I want to go, not straight ahead. Well, I, I was pretty, for me, was just looking ahead when driving. And so it did not feel natural. And he says, no, 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 when you go into the curve, don't look straight ahead. Look where you want to go, over here. And so I began to experiment with it. And what's amazing is I began to do that. My body and the bike seemed to cooperate a whole bunch but better. It just seemed to flow with that. When I focus on where I wanted to go, that's where I ended up going. Race car drivers learn the same thing. They know if you focus on the wall, guess what? <laughs> you meet the wall. Now, you see, it's important for us to confess our sins, 
to bring those before the Lord. We're going to do that in a few moments and ask for his forgiveness, acknowledging them to God and, and receiving the forgiveness that he has given us because that's what he said he would do. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But in addition to that, and we need to, we need to have tender hearts before the Lord that when we sin, his spirit can uh, uh, convict us and we just repent and, and deal with it immediately rather than storing up and, you know, confessing once a week, just kind of stay confessed up to date. But at the same time, it is critically important that we focus upon God and what he has called us to be, what he is replacing that sin with and who he has made us to become, to put our focus on what God says about you, that you're a saint. I I, I encourage you, I challenge you, start going through the scripture and just start marking the things that God says about you. And when you get up in the morning, Look in the mirror and, and just proclaim the truth by God's eye about you. It will feel a little bit uncomfortable, but that's who we are in Christ. We've been given a new identity in him. And as we begin to focus upon that and ask the Holy Spirit to make that so real to us, you see, that's the direction that, that our life begins to go. That's the trajectory that we begin to move toward because God honors his word. One cool thing that I ran across, and I'll just say this in conclusion, is that uh, we're not doing this alone. We're not doing it alone. In Philippians 1, verse 6, Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, he who started this good work, will perfect it. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus, meaning his return. He is committed to our our transformation. He is at work. He will not quit. He will never quit. Well, this is the time in our service that we come and we just kind of collectively take a look at our week. And so I want to ask you just to put your things down if you have your Bible or some notes. And let's just kind of quiet our hearts for just a moment.